Welcome to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi. The show is an audio postcard from Las Vegas. Once again, those casinos, restaurants, and entertainment venues are closed. Empty. Very sad to see for anyone that's ever felt the excitement of Vegas. Now, last week, we talked about the stress that we're all feeling being sequestered at home. Today, we take a look at anxiety and how you can stop it from destroying yourself. You're about to meet Dr. David Hanscom. Dr. Hanscom was an orthopedic complex spinal surgeon who quit his 32-year-old practice in 2018 to focus on teaching people how to break the grip of chronic mental and physical pain. When you come to Las Vegas, for a lot of people, it's the shows. Some people, it's the great food, the excitement. But for some people, let's face it, and this is how it got its start, it's all about gambling. Well, now everything's shut down. How is that affecting people, I mean, particularly people that have a problem with that? Well, we've got the perfect person to come on and talk about that, Dr. David Hanscom. He's written a couple of great articles. We'll send you there afterwards. But, Dr., Tell us right off the bat, is this now the fact that you can't go there and do it, is that driving some people crazy? I mean, is the anxiety super high? Absolutely. It's a huge problem. And I think the one message I want to give your audience, that, that we, I mean, weren't you trained that anxiety was basically a psychological issue? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it is absolutely not. Well, so exp- take us further. Where, where are we going with that? Because uh, if that's not anxious... What's it involved with? Okay, so it's a neurochemical survival response. In other words, when you're threatened, your body chemistry fires up, your muscles tense up, your heart races, your entire body reacts to a threat, right? Right. Okay, that's a physiological response to a threat. And so the unconscious brain, of which this is a part of, processes about 20 million bits of information per second. Do you know how much the conscious brain processes? How much? 40, four zero. Oh, okay. So it's 20 million to 40, okay? Yeah. So, and, and how long do you think you would live without anxiety? About two minutes. Right. Because you wouldn't have the urge to breathe. And what happens is that this sensation that we call anxiety is intended to be incredibly negative. It's negative enough that it forces you to take action to survive. It's how every living creature evolved by avoiding danger and gravitating towards rewards. And the species of creatures who didn't pay attention to these environmental cues didn't survive. It turns out that the creatures living today, including humans, of course, are the most anxious species that's ever lived. But it's a physiological response, not psychological. Okay, so is that is that the difference then? It gets beyond when it's problematic. It gets beyond just what it's trying to do, which is save your life. And now it's going into a different level? Or how, how does that work? Well, humans have a major problem compared to my cat, because my cat's threatened, takes evasive action, anxiety drops down, she goes back to sleep, right? Right. Okay, humans have a problem is that thoughts and concepts go to a similar part of the brain as a physical threat, but you can't escape your thoughts. Every human being has trouble with anxiety, 100%, and there's ways of masking it so you may not be totally connected to it, but all of us are subjected to sustained levels of elevated stress chemicals Remember, anxiety is just a sensation generated by these elevated chemicals. So you're full of adrenaline, cortisol, histamine, cytokines. You're on high alert. You feel anxious. Just like you're lying on the beach in the sun full of oxytocin and dopamine, you feel relaxed, which you wouldn't call relaxed a diagnosis, correct? Right, right. Anxiety is not a diagnosis either. It's just a description of your body's chemical state. 
Okay, I just spoke to somebody who said they have a particular problem. They go to they go to work and anxiety takes over and literally it gives them the same effect as vertigo. You know where you can't, you get dizzy, you can't even walk because you're, you're you're so dizzy and so forth. And yet that was described as anxiety. So right. what is that in relation to what you're talking about? Remember, remember, anxiety is simply the sensation generated by elevated stress chemicals. But we have sustained elevations, which most humans do to some degree. That there's over 30 physical symptoms of these stress chemicals on your body. So when I was in the worst part of my chronic pain, which was about a 15-year ordeal, my ears were ringing, I had migraine headaches, my feet were burning, these skin rashes popped up, vertigo, I didn't have that one, but you can have it. Um, I had severe anxiety, I had an obsessive compulsive disorder, severe depression. Again, I had 17 of these symptoms at the same time. Wow. But remember... If your body's full of stress chemicals, each organ's going to respond in its own way. There are 50 trillion cells in the human body. It's incredibly complex. There are 80 billion cells in the brain. Each cell has 10,000 connections. So the complexity of the human body is incredible. It's just a unit. And when you're threatened, your, your entire body, which obviously your brain and body are really just one unit, respond in unison. So anxiety is a sensation that says danger. Again, if you didn't have it, I mean, anxiety is a gift. If you didn't mm-hmm. have anxiety, you wouldn't survive more than a few minutes because you wouldn't even breathe, right? Right, right. Okay, so I wrote a website post called Anxiety, Your Bodyguard or Prison Guard. So anxiety is your bodyguard. It keeps you alive, helps you take on new challenges, etc. But if you mix your identity up with a survival reaction, then it's your prison guard. Right, right, okay. Right? That makes a lot of sense. So let's let's talk solutions then to that same person that is, is going into vertigo and having all these issues. What's the first place you look at? Well, let me just ask you a rhetorical question, and I you you may get you probably won't get the answer, but I have a really re- realistic reason for asking it. Okay, so anxiety is just a sensation generated by elevated stress chemicals, and it's always intended to be unpleasant. So if you can't control it consciously, remember it's a twenty million to forty ratio of brain power. Right. How do you decrease anxiety? Wow. Uh, it, it can't be by ignoring it, can it? No, no. Suppressing is the worst. Okay. All right. Okay. So, so I'll just tell you the answer. So here's the deal. So anxiety is a stress response. It's powerful. The first thing, so what you, to decrease anxiety, you simply decrease the stress chemicals. The reason I'm answering the question that way is I want you to understand the first step in actually dealing with anxiety is just to separate your identity from this reaction. Mm-hmm. Okay, so first step is take get rid of the word anxiety out of your vocabulary. Okay. Anytime you're agitated or nervous, just say my stress chemicals are elevated. Visualize a large thermometer on the opposite wall. When your stress chemicals are, stress chemicals are elevated, just visualize how high that thermometer is going. And you're going to drop it down. If you drop down the stress, chemical, stress chemicals, the anxiety is going to drop, right? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing to do is separate your identity from this reaction. So again, just get rid of get rid of the word anxiety out of, out of your vocabulary completely. And there's two ways of decreasing, two categories of decreasing stress chemicals. So one of them is directly with meditation, mindfulness, exercise, martial arts, etc., so those are ways on a day-to-day basis that you actually drop the stress chemicals down. And I'm going to do a little exercise with you right now, one called active meditation, where for three to five seconds, you just put your brain on a different sensation. Hmm. So just drop your shoulders for a second. Okay. Feel the back of your chair. That's it. 
Really? Yeah, because what you're doing, you're changing sensory input. In other words, you went from racing thoughts, remember you can't escape your thoughts, so you change your sensory input from thoughts to a different sensation. Taste your food, feel the breeze. Wow, so th- this is kind of mindfulness, right? And th- that kind of thing is really being aware and, and getting out of, uh, you know, you're, you're controlling what you're thinking about. No. So that's, that's the case. We, all, we don't like our unpleasant thoughts. I mean, I was tortured by these things. So you can't control your thoughts. You simply switch sensory input. So it's, it's an abbreviated mindfulness. I think mindfulness is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think meditation is wonderful. But when you understand why you're doing it, it starts making a lot more sense, right? So mm-hmm. we tend to do meditation to combat anxiety. Well, if you're doing battle with anxiety, you're in trouble. Now, if you realize, you realize okay, I'm meditating today. My stress chemicals are actually dropping. People look at meditation as a final solution for anxiety sometimes. Well, it's a tool, and mm-hmm. some days it works better than others. Some days the act of meditation is better. Um, so there's just, a, there's just a bunch of direct ways to do this. And again, my website's backincontrol.com. All these tools are on the website. This is a very self-directed process. But active meditation is one of those basic tools that starts dropping down these stress chemicals. That's really exciting. Now, let's talk about something else that kind of goes along with this. And I think of people trapped in their homes, you know, and some homes are better than others. But, I mean, you're in a situation now where you got a lot of time to think. Right. And some of us think about stuff that happened in the past and so forth, and it'll torture us. You know, and it's not exactly the kind of anxiety we were talking about, but it can be because you're reliving these bad things. Is it the same process to get rid of that uh, issue? Well, again, I'm going to say, instead of getting rid of it, I'm going to coach you a little bit. And what you're doing, you're assimilating anxiety. In other words, you can't control your thoughts. You can't escape from them. You can't suppress them. We tend to mask them. That's where addictive behaviors come into play. But none of those work, right? Right. There's a really simple exercise called expressive writing, which actually starts the entire process. So the other way of decreasing stress chemicals, one of, them, one of them is directly, but the other one I call it neuroplasticity. In other words, your brain changes every second, mm-hmm. but you can decide where you want it to develop. And so expressive writing, so the steps of neuroplastic, neuroplasticity are awareness, separation, and then redirecting. More with Dr. David Hanscom in just a moment. Dr. Hanscom's mission is to reintroduce true healing into medicine. He feels that doctors should be given the time to listen and understand their patients. Difficult life situations surrounding medical problems have a tremendous impact on care and outcomes. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, coast to coast on the BizTalk Radio Network. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. We are talking with Dr. David Hanscom, author of the book, Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain. Okay, let's start with awareness then. That's the first step. So let's, let's, so, let's go there. So take, your, take a piece of paper mm-hmm. and just write down your thoughts. It can be positive or negative, bizarre, rational, irrational, whatever they are. You write down your thoughts and instantly tear them up. And, and the tearing them up is crucial, right? Because uh, if you let them stay there, they gain power. Well, actually, you're tearing, so it's crucial to tear them up for a different reason. In other words, if your attention is on analyzing the thoughts, you're actually reinforcing the thoughts, right? So think neuroplasticity. If you're analyzing, because what happens is people write things down. We tend to identify with their thoughts. 
all the exercise does is separates you from the thoughts. In other words, the thoughts are on the table. Mm-hmm. There's now a space connected with vision and feel, which is part of the unconscious brain. And you're not going to get rid of these things because there are trillions of thoughts. And so what you're doing, you simply write down the thoughts and you're tearing them up for two reasons. One of them is to write with freedom. Any thought counts. Mm-hmm. And the second reason, which is more important, is to not analyze them because they're just thoughts. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. And there's over a thousand research papers that document that this works. Over a thousand, which is a bit disturbing to me as a physician that I was, I was never taught these tools. At any point in my entire medical experience, no, 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 no one ever taught me these tools. And again, over a thousand well-done research papers says that this works. Yeah. You know, I've heard different, like, you know, the pop psychologists have talked about if you're upset with somebody, you write them a letter and then you don't mail the letter, but you write it. But what you're talking about is different than that, right? You're not, you're not trying to organize a letter or whatever. You're just letting the thoughts flow. Right. I mean, there's different kinds of writing. I think it's actually valuable to write that letter to the person that you really are having trouble with and tear it up. You don't send it, tear it up. And again, you're separate. You're just separating from the process. The original research was done by writing down really intense emotional experiences and then tearing them up. And a lot of people initially, so I, I switched it over my first book, said, look, do negative writing. But people are actually afraid of their negative thoughts. Does that make sense to you? Really? Yeah, because they, they, they don't want to face it, right? Even though they know right. they're there, they don't want to admit to it. But they're just thoughts. Yeah, right. Right. So it turned out that I, I wrote a website post called Your Demons Are Really Robots. And so what happens is that the more of a well-intentioned, well-meaning person you are, the higher the chance that you'll have a high number of negative thoughts. Because people that are sociopathic don't really suppress thoughts. Remember, when you suppress thoughts, they become stronger. And so if you're a well-intentioned person, a higher percent of thoughts will become unacceptable. And so what, you, what feels like your demons is actually a neurological trick. Because it's actually who you're not, otherwise you wouldn't be suppressing those in the first place. Right. The problem is they become very powerful over time and repetition and become these monsters that just torture you every day all day long. And again, I developed a full-blown obsessive-compulsive disorder, which is manifest by extremely intense intrusive thoughts that become almost visual, almost hallucinations, and it is brutal. And the prognosis for OCD, by the way, obsessive-compulsive disorder, is very poor even still. The problem is the medical profession is still treating anxiety psychologically. Right, It's right. physiological. So right now, I don't have anxiety. I don't have depression. I don't have, I mean, if an intrusive thought comes in and out, no big deal. But see, as you, as you learn to be okay with the sensation of anxiety, because it's part of life, and literally train your brain not to keep reacting to it, pretty soon your brain goes a different direction. Right. So we talked about direct ways of decreasing stress chemicals, but the indirect ways with neuroplasticity, which is awareness, separation, reprogramming, the writing does awareness and separation in one move, the active meditation is a redirecting process. And the, langu- the one metaphor is, think about learning a language, you practice a new language, mm-hmm. so, you're, so you're gonna learn French, but in five years, when you can speak fluent French, your brain changed, right? Yeah. But you didn't learn French by trying to avoid speaking English. Same thing with your brain, is that you're not going to solve your brain's problems by trying to fix your chronic pain. You have to create a vision, what I call an enjoyable life is the new language. Mm-hmm. And where do you want to go? What do you want in your life? Pain or no pain? And as you move towards this vision, that's where your brain is going to develop. So the other tool that's been extraordinarily powerful in the process that we came about this by accident is that if you were a patient in my office, I would say, look, when you walk out the door of my office, you're simply never going to discuss your pain ever again. Because where's your attention? Right, right. And then what I didn't find out when people in chronic pain actually talk about their pain all the time, including myself, 
it's very understandable. Nobody believes him, and you get desperate for a solution. You get bounced around and around and around, and you get desperate. I mean, my my whole life turned into what I call being an epiphany addict, trying to find a solution for my pain. But what happens, your attention is on the pain. Since the mental pain is a bigger problem than the physical pain, you're not going to discuss your pain. You're not going to complain. You're not going to gossip. You're not going to give any unasked for advice, and you're not going to be critical. Wow. Because where's your attention? Right, right. And, you know, I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking it makes so much sense because people that have these issues are talking about it constantly because it's all the only thing on their mind, and it kind of makes sense where you keep keep reinforcing what's there. You're making it worse. You're making it worse. You're making it worse, and uh, you're doing nothing to actually get rid of this. uh, I know get rid is not the right thing, but – What's the right fr- phrase for that, Doc? You know, in terms of you're not getting rid of it, but we're, we're I guess you're ad- adapting to it or or not accepting it, or how would you say it? Well, there's a lot of layers to this. Again, I would still encourage you to go to the website yeah. and look at this as a staged process. So it doesn't work as mind over matter because, again, the unconscious brain is so much more powerful. And being tough is not going to work because that's a way of suppressing. Um, people get angry because they get trapped by their thoughts. And it turns out that anger and anxiety are the same thing. Because the antidote to anxiety is control. When you don't have control, your body kicks in more stress chemicals and you become angry. Basically, anger is anxiety with a chemical kick. So when you're trapped by anything, finances, relationships, thoughts, pain, whatever it is, you become incredibly angry, which really fires up your nervous system. So the steps we just talked about, again, the expressive writing, combined with active meditation, combined with not discussing your pain, that's basically stage one, along mm-hmm. with sleep. Stage two is about forgiveness. Because remember, it's awareness, separation, reprogramming. And so forgiveness is an awareness you're angry. Forgiveness is the separation and letting go. And that's combined with play. Because remember, this is about optimizing the body's chemistry from a stress profile to a much more favorable profile. Mm-hmm. And so your profile is the best at play. It's how the human brain developed. That's why the social isolation we're dealing with right now is so tricky because there is a lot of domestic violence already. Being isolated in the same house where violence exists is a huge problem, right? Sure. But it's not psychological. What happens, I worked with Dr. Stephen Portis, who wrote the polyvagal theory. What happens is that humans evolve by interacting with other humans. It's all connected to the autonomic nervous system, which is the system that determines safety or not. The essence of healing is feeling safe. The problem is when you're socially isolated, you start deregulating the autonomic nervous system. You start getting this flood of stress chemicals then you get a lot of bad behavior, which is not psychological, again, it's physiological. Because your body's flooded out with these stress hormones, and so actually one of the dangers of this whole epidemic is the social consequences. More from Dr. David Hanscom, whose website, backincontrol.com, is the action plan for his book, Back in Control. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi nationwide on the BizTalk Radio Network. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. 
You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. With us today is Dr. David Hanscom, who blogs weekly instructional podcasts. You can look it up. It's called Back in Control Radio. You know what's fascinating about this, Doctor, is that same person I'm talking to you about with the vertigo and so forth. Yeah, terrible anger management issues. It all fits together. And it's like I'm listening to you talk about it, and it's like, wow, it's exactly what you describe. And uh, and you can – I'm kind of seeing based on how you're telling us – I really think we need people. If if you know people like this, you got to go to the website. Which give it to us again. What's that website? It's a backincontrol dot com, and I wrote a book called Back in Control: A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain. And I was since only the last six months have I really comprehended that that anxiety is the pain. I blog for Psychology Today once or twice every week. The name of the blog is Anxiety, another name for the pain. But but think about it. Anxiety just says danger. Yeah. Okay. It's a danger signal. That's not psychological. That's your survival reflex. So do you think in, in the world of psychology and so forth that they've kind of – this has become part of pop psychology in a way where there's so much talk about anxiety and stuff, and, and you're saying, no, let's look at it as a medical issue, which it really is. Well, the essence of solving the problem is feeling safe. Because if you feel safe, you're full of oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, just a great set of drugs, Right. Right. So as you learn the tools to regulate your body's chemistry, you, you now have control, right? Right. And you feel safe. Now, the problem with anger is that anger is very powerful. Anger also helps you feel safe. The biggest block to actually solving chronic pain is people's unwillingness to give up their anger. Because you're angry, you feel powerful. You may not be powerful, but you feel that way. When you're anxious, you feel vulnerable, which we hate. So again... A little bit of a different topic is that a big part of the process is actually learning to be okay with anxiety. And by the way, being okay with anger, because they're both necessary. You're not going to get rid of them. But if you learn to process those and assimilate them, they quit interfering with your day-to-day life, then it's game on. And what's exciting to me, the reason why I actually quit my practice to do this, is that first of all, most physicians do not like treating chronic pain. They don't understand it. I honestly don't want to be critical of them, because I would not have understood it either but I had not gone through my own terrible process. So it was horrible. And people that are trapped in pain, I call it the abyss, that they're stuck, there's no hope, no way out. What do you do? Right, right, exactly. And the whole idea of chronic pain and so forth, you know, there's no drug out there that you're going to take that's going to take care of that for you. It, it just, you, you, right. your way is the only way to go, really. Right. Well, and again, I'm not, how do I say this? I feel honored to be here. I feel lucky to be here. There is a bunch of physicians around the country who have the same approach but different methods to do it. But at the end of the day, it's a doctor-patient relationship and feeling safe with your physician or other healthcare provider. Then as you feel safe, you start engaging on the process yourself, and then you start feeling safer and safer, and things start to change. So I always say really clearly, like my book is a framework that allows you to understand the problem in a way you can find your own solution. It sounds like a great idea to have, like, as a reference material, too, because yeah. you're always going to be... And I, I imagine, too, as you get better at this, you have less of these, you know, kind of reverting to the old style. But I imagine in the beginning, part of that old way, because you've been doing this for so long, is so ingrained. Absolutely. you got to work on it, right? I mean, this takes work. Especially if you had a chaotic childhood. And what happens when you're raised in a chaotic childhood... Your program, you're raised in a dangerous, dangerous environment. 
you don't know it's dangerous. I came from an extremely abusive background, from a very from a psychotic mother, basically. And many people have this story. And what happens when you're programmed in childhood about different things being dangerous, because they are, more things in the present seem dangerous because that's the way you're trained. If you take my cat who's totally spoiled, why life to her is pretty good. But if you take a cat off the street who is hyperactive and hypervigilant, that cat's not going to relax, right? Mm -hmm. And so, again, same thing with humans. When you're raised in a chaotic environment that you're not nurtured, you're not allowed to feel safe, you don't, you don't even know what that feels like, right? Right, right. And so literally, you have to literally reprogram your brain to start allowing yourself to feel that way. In my situation, is a little bit frustrating to me even still because I teach this stuff. I had wonderful experience from it. I'm pain-free. But a huge part of the process is learning the tools because you, quote, fail every day. I mean, you're going to get anxious and frustrated every day because that's life, right? Right, right. So what happens, I get triggered less often. I don't stay in the reaction nearly as long. What's humbling to me is that my entire life until about age 50 was this one huge, massive reaction. I didn't even know what it was. Yeah. So by being aware of the difference, I spend probably 95% of my time really pretty connected to what's going on in front of me. I'm not having, I don't have very few racing thoughts anymore, and I can just enjoy the moment I've, I'm in. That's it. That's unusual. My entire life was just thousands and thousands of racing thoughts per hour. Never stopped. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. We are talking with Dr. David Hanscom, author of the book, Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain. You know, and I think you're not unusual. I think there's a lot of people that have variations of this, and that's why I'm thinking people shouldn't be afraid of this. In fact, the earlier the better, because now you're really enjoying your life. Right. I mean, I wish I had done this in grade school. I mean, I actually started a nonprofit a few years ago, which I did not have the bandwidth to finish. I mean, how hard would it to be to actually bring expressive writing into preschool and first grade? Right. It's an incredibly simple tool, incredibly effective, no risk, no extra time for the teachers. Then teach the kids these little bit of active meditation, and then literally train them to be nice. You know, be nice to people. And so you start training your brain early on, and again, it's not psychological. It's literally rewiring your brain. Right. And you know what's great about this is once you learn that as a parent, you can help your kids grow up that way. I mean, not not be that negative influence. Right. Instead, really start giving them the tools that they'll be able to use the rest of their life. Right. I mean, if I would love to come back on your show and talk about just the family issues. What we found out the last three years of my practice is that we would do lots of different exercises of writing, relaxation, forgiveness, et cetera, with lots of success. But a certain number of people would fail badly. And what we finally figured out is that the family, first of all, 100% of families trigger each other. Mm-hmm. It's a neurological trick. And unfortunately, the closer your relationships, the deeper the triggers. So every family, no exceptions, fights. Yeah. And the problem is it's irrational. So you get these irrational reactions within the family. The people that you love and care for the most are the deepest triggers. So what we found out by tr- creating a relatively arbitrary set of rules about reactions in the family, it was unbelievable how quickly it came out of the hole. Wow. That I mean, is think terrific. About, I mean, think about this one thing. I mean, not talking about your pain. I mean, people in pain talk about pain all the time. Yeah. Their yep. family is the biggest target, right? Yeah. Well, the family just gets worn out. So just stopping that one concept makes a huge difference in the family. 
Wow. You know, I'm listening to you and I'm just thinking of various dynamics in my family. And there was a lot of that where, you know, somebody is really having a rough time for whatever reason. They're constantly talking about it. And there is that thing where it irritates other people and it kind of triggers somebody else to go off on their thing. And it's this big, dark cloud that keeps building on itself when... Like you say, that's like the worst place to do it, really. I mean, these are the people you love. But I I guess we have this thing, too. We we figure, like, well, this is my wife or this is my mother uh, or my father, what have you. Uh, This is the person I trust so I can tell them everything. And in a way, (laughs) we're talking here. We're we're doing the opposite of what we should be doing. Right. I mean, would you ever react to a cashier at the grocery store the way you reacted to your family sometimes? Of course not. Of course right. not. So then think about this. Of course, that's backwards, right? Yeah. Because you get to live with your family now with a cash person. So the people that we tr- logically should treat by far and away the best, we, we t- end up treating the, the worst. But I wrote a website post called Happily Ever After. And what destroys relationships, and I will say uniformly, this is 100%, by the way. We, didn't, we found no exceptions in two years of any family that didn't trigger each other. This is in chronic pain and without chronic pain. And you know what the number one thing that was that triggered families? It was unbelievable. We were mm-hmm. blown away. How they load the dishwasher. Yeah, wow. I'm not <laughs> kidding. Yeah, no, I believe it. Because I had a mother and I've got a wife, and they both had their own way of loading the dishwasher. And if right. you try to load it a different way, right. it's not right. My wife's very nice about it, but she's also very protective of the dishwashing uh, protocols. Right. So those are just triggers. They're not, I mean, who cares how the dishwasher right. loaded, right? So with my wife, it's the kitchen cabinets. I tend to leave the cabinets open. <laughs> and eventually, I mean, we're on a first date. Who cares? I mean, think about how <laughs> right. you treat your your yeah. your current spouse on your first date or even the first six months compared to how you do now. But I'm saying these triggers are powerful. Remember, the unconscious brain processes 20 million bits of information per second. The conscious brain processes 40. Wow. They're irrational. So it blows relationships apart. And this is uniform, by the way. Yeah. Is these neurologic, it's a neurological trick. More from Dr. David Hanscom in just a moment. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, coast to coast on the BizTalk Radio Network. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. We are chatting with Dr. David Hanscom, who's a regular contributor to the Pain News Network and the Psychology Today blog. Well, it, it's just so true. I mean, if people think about it, they all did that. And we all know when we were dating, we, we the word we used, we put up with it. Actually, it just didn't matter at that point. Right. Now, all of a sudden, this matters. And, and, and as you say, it's really meaningless stuff. Well, it, but it's powerful. In other words, it's, it's repetition, and the brain gets sensitized with time, and these little things, first of all, what happens actually is, is suppressing it's the biggest problem. So when you say, well, let's not worry about it, well, guess what? What did you, what did you just do? You suppressed it, yeah. right? Yeah, and right. So remember, anything you give neurological attention to is going to become a monster someday. And so that's the, so 
marriages can maybe survive, they can thrive for five years, maybe do okay for 10, but after about 10 years, this neurological trickery just starts pushing things apart. It's like reverse magnets. And once you understand the tools, it can be exactly the opposite process. And my wife and I went through this, and we both now know the we both now know the neurological tricks. We do our best to follow the rules. We're not perfect by any means, but it's so much better than it was five years ago. Wow, that's terrific. And maybe this is an opportunity with this pandemic. People are stuck in their homes and so right. forth. And like you say, there's all this added tension and so forth. Get on the website, buy the book, whatever you have to do, and start practicing this now. Make right. some good use out of this time. Right. Wow. I, I'm fascinated by this. And before we go, and we got a few more minutes, I did want to talk because one of those blogs you wrote was about what's going on now, and you talk about the importance of the herd and so forth. And I thought it was really interesting, the fact that you're saying, like, don't worry about this. Once you get this thing, and again, I guess this affects the brain, right? Then you don't have to worry about it. Again, if you, I guess if you fit into the right category. So that's what I was going to ask you. How does that work? Because obviously if I'm in my 60s and I've got all these various medical problems, I don't want to get it, right? right? But you're right. Somebody in their in their youth, eh, get rid of it. Get the immunity and go. So I, well, well, so first of all, let me just be really clear. So I'm not an expert on the coronavirus. I'm speaking mostly from the neurochemical standpoint. Mm -hmm. So a couple things. So it's, this is a bad virus. I mean, I did take care of sick patients for many years to a spine surgeon. And what happens is the flood, the lungs get a huge, what's called a cytokine storm. It's a huge inflammatory response, and it kills you. And we have people in their 20s and 30s dying of the virus. So I'm not in favor of letting this virus run loose at all. So what I am in favor of is simply one concrete thing. Okay, so the way pandemics stop is you get what's called a herd immunity. So if enough people get infected, then as you get exposed to more and more people, then the virus gets Keeps, keeps it quits being passed on because so many people are immune to the virus. Now we know this is an RNA virus that's not stable. We're not 100% sure about how strong immunity is, but it's reasonable. Otherwise, pandemics would never stop. Right, right. right. Okay, so what happened to me? I tested positive for the COVID 19 virus about three weeks ago. Um, the Alameda County Department of Health said basically said four days after your symptoms are done, you're considered free. So in other words, I have an immunity. I'm not shedding the virus, I'm not contagious, and I'm free. So I'm part of this recovery group or part of the herd immunity. And what's really critical on this whole process is that the government needs to get me and people like me into circulation as quickly as possible. Because this will be a long time before the virus is completely eradicated out of the population, as you well know. Mm. And a much, more, a much better way of actually stimulating the economy is the only reason I know I'm safe is because I was tested. And when the government says, look, it's not indicated to be tested until you're really sick, that's wrong. So the reason we tested is, first of all, knowing. So we know when you don't. So fear of the unknown is a huge problem. And so what happens, again, anxiety is elevated stress chemicals, which, by the way, compromises your immune system. Right. So you're less apt to fight off the virus with a compromised immune system. So first of all, decreasing anxiety is a big one. Second of all, as you decrease anxiety, you'll help social interactions in the home. Third of all, as you can declare me truly in the recovery group, again, occurred only with the positive test that I resolved, then I can participate in the economy. In fact, it's my obligation to get out and participate except I can't right. get out of the house, right? So the way, so we're focused on, we're terrorizing the country with all these horrible stories, which are true, but we're not focused on the solution. It's about how fast can we create the herd? 
Right, right. So the, right. And, and like you say, you get that herd out there. That's how you get back because there's always that fear. Now, how are we going to get the economy back and so right. forth, right? So right. that makes sense. You, right. Like you say, I think that's a great line. It's really kind of the duty of that. So, so, so they have to find a way. You're saying they've got to find a way to test everybody or right. in an ideal yep. situation. Yep. I mean, it's going to happen. I mean, I'm seeing stuff in the paper today about the antibodies. Remember, there's two types of testing. One of them is actually testing for the virus itself, which I tested positive. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's, so that's they just test for the for the um, I don't know the exact profile. The other way is antibodies. So in other words, if you do antibody, antibodies on me now, what antibodies are? They are the proteins that actually fight off infection every day. So if you have antibodies to this particular virus, then you are immune. Now I understand it's not perfect. Yeah. But you got to take your chances. I mean, there's a risk driving a car too, right? Right, right, exactly. And I mean, right. at some point, you got to because it, it, it's wonderful that we've reached that part in our society that we don't want to see people die. Right. But at the same time, it's 100% is impossible. That's just right. an impossibility. So that makes right. sense to me. Yeah. I got to ask you, how was that test? Is that the one where the, uh, the swab up the nasal cavity? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's really? less, yeah, it's not as nearly as severe as a shot. So, I mean, yeah, it goes, it's like one second of a discomfort. So it's not a big deal. They put it up, down, done. It literally took me three minutes to get the test done. Really? Okay. Well, yeah. that that's so, comforting to people. If you have to have that, that's because uh, I, I know some people they see it, and I, you know, it's like everything else. It's like you said about talking about things. People build that up, and right. uh, they, again, well, I'd love to have you on again to talk more about anxiety. I'd like to really maybe we'll get you on again and deep dig deep into the whole gambling thing. We didn't have a chance today, but I think it's just right. so important to get the basics of this anxiety. So let's get people. Let's tell them the website they can go to, and tell them to where you can get your book. The website is backincontrol.com. It's a self-directed process of four stages. The book is called Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain, available on Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, and also many bookstores. Well worth it. Great to have in your library. And I tell you, I think it's a great idea to use this time and, you know, get those demons out of there. So right. thank you, doctor. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. I enjoyed this. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to follow us on all the social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Have a great weekend. Please stay safe. This is Stephen Maggi, who soon will be reminding you once again that Vegas never sleeps. A social distancing tip. Keeping your distance from others is important in slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are some fun things to do alone. Read a book, take a walk, unpack your suitcase from that trip you took last September, paint a self-portrait, catch up on a TV series, do a puzzle. Remember, we should all stay home to lower the risk for everyone. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council.